0: Good morning. Good morning. It's the 23rd of March, 2023. Yeah, I don't know. If there were a way to stick a two at the front of it, then it would be one of those 23-23-23 days. But instead, it's a 3-23-23 day. But there you go. I don't know. Maybe like at 2, at 2 o'clock. And yeah, we've already missed one of those. So uh, we're going to have to wait for 2 p.m. Whenever it's 2 p.m. where you are, then it'll be one of those sort of 23, 23, 23 days. I don't know what to make of that other than, you know, saying it out loud. So there you go. There's an early morning observation for you. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, even if you're not listening in the morning. I'm so glad to be having this conversation with you wherever you are. And if you're saying to yourself, hey, uh, you know, I'd like to be able to take Carmen with me wherever I go and listen at any time, anywhere, there's actually an app for that. Did you know that? Have you downloaded the Faith Radio app? Um, you can do so right now. You text the word "app." I'm pretty sure. Do I have that right, Paul? You just text the word "app." That seems utterly too simple. Is that true? Text the word "app." I'm looking. I'm looking at my notes. Scrolling, scrolling in my notes. Let's see. Ah, uh, text the word "app." A P P to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four and click the link. That's it. That's how easy it is. To download the Faith Radio app on, um, yeah, all your connected devices, which means your, you know, phone and everything else. Text the word "app" to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Click the link, and you can, uh, yeah, you can take me anywhere. I I like to go along, so you know. Today's growing your faith verse of the day comes from Hebrews chapter ten, verses thirty-five and thirty-six. And when you hear the word confidence here, we're not talking about like a worldly confidence, talking about a confidence in faith. And so when you hear that word, just to sort of know that's where this is headed. So don't throw away your confidence, your confidence in Christ, your confidence in God. It brings a great reward. You need to endure so that you can receive the promises after you do God's will. So the verse is a little clunky. It doesn't like, you know, like roll off the tongue and sing like some other verses of scripture. Um, but there's a rhythm revealed here and it is a rhythm that the Bible talks about over over and over and over and over again. And that rhythm is the rhythm of revelation, obedient response, and then the transformation that God brings in and through that. So, um, Revelation, obedience, transformation. That's the rhythm that this verse of scripture points to. It's pointed to throughout the scriptures. God is gracious to reveal, reveal himself, his character, his ways, his will. Um, We literally know who we are and what we are to do because of God's revelation. Like God has revealed it. So the choice that we then make is the choice moment by moment. Um, that reveals us and that is how we respond to what God has revealed. So you and I are revealed in how we respond to the revelation of God. God has revealed himself and his will and we are revealed in how we respond. And if we have confidence in the gospel, then the rewards that are promised by God for our obedience um, means that we receive the transformation that God promises. Like that's the rhythm revealed here. And endurance is about perseverance. Um, so there are several complimentary verses where God repeats himself on this point over and over and over again. You might think of James one twelve. blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those Who love him. So again, that, you know, God has revealed it. We respond in obedience. God brings transformation. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Um, Romans 5, 3 to 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint, it does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Over and over and over again, um, the promise is that um, you know, endurance, if we endure, if we stand till the end, we will not only be saved, but we'll reign with him. Um, And so when the book of Hebrews is talking about endurance, it is talking about this over over and over and over and over and over again, obedient response to the revelation of God. Um, and God will ultimately bring transformation. He's doing it moment by moment right now as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, but he's ultimately going to do it um, you know, in the context of eternity. Ben Johnson's going to join us next. We're going to turn our attention to some of the headlines of the day. That's what we do here on Mornings with Carmen. We bring the mind of Christ to bear um, on what's going on in your life and in the world. Thanks for being here. We'll be right back.
2: It's who I am It's who I am It's who
1: I am This is my right
2: A right given by God To live a free life To live in
0: Ben Johnson is back. You can find him and what he's writing at WashingtonStand.com. Ben, good morning.
1: Good morning, Carmen.
0: Okay, so um, what does it mean for the Supreme Court to vacate a ruling and what ruling did the Supreme Court vacate?
1: Well, when it comes to uh, the Supreme Court, they just dealt with uh, uh, some uh, fascinating uh, issues having to deal with abortion. Um, There was there was an issue, Chapman v. Doe. Uh, It had to do with uh, the right to abortion if you were an underage minor Uh, in many states before Roe v. Wade was overturned by Dobbs last summer. uh, If you were a minor, you had to have either parental notification or parental consent. Thirty five states. uh, I'm sorry. Thirty six actually had parental notification laws that one or both parents had to be notified. But thirty five of those thirty six states had a judicial bypass so that you could go in front of a judge and uh, say that if the parents were notified it might endanger my safety uh, and i would like to have an abortion anyway and generally the abortions were granted underage minors without their parental consent at that point in 2018 uh, a minor went to a court in missouri and uh, there's an official there who said that the parents would have to be notified even though she was going uh, in front of the court As they were suing, she ended up going to another state, state of Illinois, where she obtained the judicial permission, underwent an abortion, and then she went back to the ACLU and sued the state of Missouri, and particularly this this individual who works for the Randolph County Courts, Michelle Chapman. In the meantime, the Supreme Court handed down the Dobbs decision, and so they agreed that the decision was moot. What the Supreme Court did, though, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals before Dobbs, just a few months before Dobbs had ruled that uh, this official had violated the constitutional right to abortion and that the constitution, uh, thanks to uh, the 1992 uh, KCV Planned Parenthood case, had established that minors have the right to uh, an abortion with a judicial bypass. So the Supreme Court handed down a a decision where they invalidated that. Uh, They said that uh, since the Dobbs decision came about, this decision was moot and you can no longer cite this. uh, What that what particularly the way that they did it uh, and the particular strategy that they used to invalidate means that this decision from the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals can't be cited by anybody else in the future to say that the Eighth Circuit Court has ruled that there is this right. So uh, they are essentially protecting life uh, and the Dobbs decision and the unalienable right to life at every level of the court, uh, even almost a year after Dobbs. So this this was a good decision from our point of view.
0: Okay. Can we... Um, talk just for a moment about um, what difference it makes if you are of minor or major age in terms of your rights? I mean, do children have different rights than adults? Or maybe better said, do adults have different rights or guarantees of rights under the Constitution? Hel- help me understand
1: that a little bit. Oh, uh, thank God that that's one of the cornerstones of our republic, right? Uh, we don't allow uh, minors to vote. We don't allow them to drive. Uh, we- don't allow them to serve in the military on juries. So uh, those, are, those are rights and privileges that we have uh, under the US Constitution as adults that we don't have as minors. And uh, when the Supreme Court was holding that abortion was on par with the right to, to uh, um, uh, serve in the military or vote, uh, we ended up uh, with a lot of bad jurisprudence as a result. But uh, thankfully, as we uh, have more rights, because we also have greater insight uh, as to the consequences of those actions.
0: So I think that um when we when we think about parental rights, this feels like a, a point of intersection for us as believers in terms of how we articulate the responsibility that we have for children who God gives us as a sacred trust and how we um understand our responsibility for them, not only for, you know, like their physical welfare, but for every other part of their welfare that they might grow up in every way. Um, to to honor God, um, to love Him, uh, and that includes with their bodies. Like I, th- I feel like all of this is a part of the conversation for for believers.
1: It absolutely is, because as you say, uh, God has entrusted children and their raising to parents, and uh, throughout the scriptures, you see uh, children obey your parents. There are instructions throughout uh, from the from the books of Moses and the books of Proverbs about how to instruct a child. And this is again, always laid at the doorstep of parents. Uh, this is not uh, something that we can outsource to anyone else in God's eyes. Obviously uh, we may send children to school to uh, to learn certain things, uh, but in the old days, that was also something that the parents would do. And increasingly homeschoolers are doing that or they're turning to uh, other alternatives, but the ultimate responsibility to form the moral education of children belongs to parents, and it always will. So uh, this is one of the grave life decisions anyone will make. Obviously, it leaves an indelible character upon people. Uh, People go throughout life mourning the decisions they make, and a loving parent would intervene to assure that Uh, They would protect their grandchild's life, and they would protect uh, their daughter's health, uh, both physically and mentally, uh, and their spirit from the spiritual uh, ramifications of having an abortion and the grief and anguish and repentance that would come uh, after that.
0: Yeah, when you say, uh, when you remind me about homeschooling, I had a conversation um, with a mom yesterday who's kind of agonizing about, uh, you know, where her children are going to be educated and by whom. And I said, look, it doesn't (laughs) I mean, these are really important decisions, critically important, but every kid is homeschooled. Like uh, every kid is, is being trained up in the household where they live. Like every kid is being homeschooled. Some people are just doing it intentionally. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great conversation to uh, to be having as well. All right, uh, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, Ben Johnson and I are going to continue a conversation here. We're going to talk about another action by the Supreme Court. Um, If you just wanted to show up today at a university campus and get out your bullhorn and preach the gospel, would you have the right to do that? Do you have the right to do that? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at myfaithradio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to you know, Bible verses, I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media, and, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right, back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Ben Johnson. Uh, He tweets at The Rights Writer. He serves as a senior reporter and editor at Washington Stand. You can find him at WashingtonStand.com. Um, we've got another Supreme Court ruling um, to touch on here, Ben. Um, what what happened to this guy who showed up at the University of Alabama with a bullhorn and um, wanted to preach the gospel?
1: Well, he did not prevail. Uh, he, was, he was appealing to the Supreme Court because a uh, court of appeals had ruled against him, uh, this uh, man was named uh, Rodney Keister, and as you say, he showed up at a public sidewalk, but that public sidewalk was adjacent to the University of Alabama, Tuscaloosa. And so he was preaching to students. He was trying to talk to students as they were going by and hand out uh, uh, pro-life, uh, and uh, I'm sorry, not pro-life, but rather Christian tracts uh, to share the gospel with students who were uh, on this uh, public campus. However, he was standing on a public place. This is a public university. But uh, the lower the lower court ruled that uh, since it is a university, it is an institution and they have the right to regulate free speech to a certain degree. And anything that is adjacent to that property, even if it's public, is what they call a limited purpose public space, uh, which is a, a category that exists under the law. Uh, the closest analog to take their side of it for a moment is if someone's standing on the uh, sidewalk across the street from my house and it's public, they can't aim a bullhorn at my bedroom window and talk to me uh, if I don't want them to. So that's, that's their side of the story. Uh, the other side of the story is that, uh, again, this is an area where there's all kinds of activity taking place, uh, there's all kinds of speech taking place, and public universities do not have the right uh, to, to simply deny students or anyone else their free speech rights in a public place. So uh the Supreme Court ultimately did not hear the appeal.
0: Um I'll just I'll just weigh in and say uh, it's the bullhorn part that matters yeah. to me. Like right? I don't care if you stand on the sidewalk and use the voice that God gave you, but when you start amplifying it and you start um extending its reach beyond that, you know, sidewalk um and potentially like, you know, uh, through the windows of a classroom where somebody's trying to teach and I mean, I just I'm just thinking of all the spaces and places where there's a sidewalk close to a place where I'm trying to have a conversation in, you know, inside a building or whatever and I'm just like, okay, I'm there's a part of me that is thankful that we do have some rules of decorum in terms of how we are going to um we're all free to speak, but how you say what you're saying and through what uh vehicles of amplification. I do find myself like, you know, partially grateful that we still have some uh, rules related to that, in terms of you know how we're going to function together, you know. So, yeah, and, <clears throat> and each I, I guess one of I'm us, hoping when we
1: preach, we represent Christ. So, amen. Uh, you know, it's it's a question of how we engage students, uh, the volume, as you say, and also the words and whether we come off respectfully or not. Uh, if he had been standing there quietly handing out tracks, I don't think it would have been an issue. Uh, we were blessed uh, by many people who handed out tracks. On the sidewalk outside our university, when I was there, there was one gentleman who was a Jehovah's Witness, was out every day, and he stood on the sidewalk outside campus in a cruciform position with his hands out and uh, a Wake magazine in each hand, and he simply let you take it from him if you wanted. He never said a word to anyone. So uh, that kind of a witness was very powerful coming from someone who's uh, certainly not part of what we would consider uh, mainstream uh, biblical Christianity. And we would say someone who is representing Christ Uh, can have a similarly powerful effect without ever saying a word.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's so helpful. Um, Some issues uh, uh, across the pond. Um, Talk about uh, what is happening in terms of the harassment of Christians in the UK and um, some response to it here by members of the U.S. Congress.
1: We've seen several heartbreaking cases of uh, people who are arrested simply for praying silently outside abortion facilities in the United Kingdom. Uh, One woman who has been arrested twice for simply praying silently. The police told her that her prayer, quote-unquote, is an offense uh, against the law because uh, they have uh, a free speech free zone, essentially, for 450 feet in any direction. I'm sorry, 450 yards, if I'm not wrong. No, it's like uh, no, multiple city feet. blocks.
0: Yeah, it's it, yeah. well, it's like multiple city blocks that are covered in that particular you can't you can't pray here zone.
1: Yeah, football field and a half essentially within that area and any kind of even private prayer, unspoken, <laughs> uh anything that they suspect might have to do with abortion uh is is not right. Now, we're told to pray at all times in every place. So, several people including a uh, a priest have been arrested for praying and doing nothing else. And so um, there's there's a case of uh, Dr. Bernard Randall, also uh, an ordained uh, Church of England uh, pastor who uh, sued Trent College because he gave a uh, speech there where he told people from eight to 17 years old that they could make up their own mind about LGBTQ issues. Uh, and so uh, he was fired. Uh, he, he said that uh, the bishop put in a bad word about him so that he can't find employment. Uh, and there were similar cases of a, a man named Dave McConnell. Uh, earlier this month was preaching uh, on the street and a crowd attacked him. And uh, a, a police officer who has a pentagram tattoo charged him with causing a public disturbance after a crowd attacked him and stole his things. Uh, the the preacher, he did not attack the crowd. The crowd physically attacked him, but he's the one facing charges. Uh, Chip Roy, congressman from Texas, along with several of his colleagues wrote a letter to the U.S. Ambassador for International Religious Freedom saying that they need to take a look at what's happening over there, that our closest ally, the nation from which we got the concept of unalienable religious rights, uh, because that was our antecedent nation, and that idea had been uh, part of the Western legal patrimony for a long time, that idea uh, came from England, and now it's being suppressed within England. So we have this uh, unbelievable idea where... Not only are um, international religious watchdogs looking at places like China or Nigeria or other places around the world, but now turning their eyes to London. Uh, so uh, it would be incumbent upon all of us who are praying for religious freedom uh, to pat- particularly pray about those restrictions that are coming in on free speech and especially on prayer and on the sharing of the gospel, whether they're under the guise of uh, protecting uh, so-called right to abortion or other so-called rights that have never legally been on par with uh, the right to express and live your free speech and to live your religious convictions, which come from a higher source than the UK Supreme Court or the U.S. Ambassador for International Religious Freedom. They come from the Lord God and creator of us all, and they're engrafted in the Bible that we have been uh, given the task by Christ and the Great Commission to carry out the gospel.
0: Ben, um, as always, thank you so much um, for reminding us of the rights that we have here, guaranteed by the Constitution of the United States of America, and also just recognizing that those rights are unalienable. They are given by God. And so even though in other countries around the world, those rights are not guaranteed by the Constitution, if you're listening right now um, in a place where, you know, the government does not guarantee um, your rights in the same way that we here in the United States have the freedom to exercise ours, um, I want you to know that we are with you and we are for you, and we recognize that um, God has given you liberties that governments don't always recognize, and we're praying for you today. And so if you're listening right now and you do have the freedom to pray where you are, um, I'm going to invite you to do that, to exercise your religious liberty right now, um, and, um, and thank God for the freedom to do it. Um, persistently and publicly. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio.
1: Our God
0: is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. Our God is an awesome God, and He does reign from heaven above. Isn't God awesome? Have you considered the awesomeness of God? I mean, like, in awe? Have you stood in awe of God, not just recently, but like this morning already today. We're going to talk about the awe of God with John Bevere. This gets us into a conversation about fearing God. Like Peter talks about, well, actually most of the biblical writers talk about this at some point, like there is is a fear of God that is necessary and righteous and Um, If we understand who God is and we appreciate who God is, then there is this awesome acknowledgement of that. We call it the fear of God, but it's not fear like I'm afraid of spiders and snakes. It's um, It's an awesome, awesome fear. So let's talk about the awe of God and let's draw close to God, even as God draws close to us. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Here's my conversation with John Bevere.
1: Shall I I know who goes before
0: me. Really excited to have joining us again today, John Bevere. You know him so well. He brings to us today a brand new book um, that you can also engage in with him online. The book is The Awe of God, The Astounding Way a Healthy Fear of God Transforms Your Life. John, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Carmen, it's a pleasure and it's an honor to be on with you. Thank you for what you do.
0: Well, thank you. We love your family and um, and we love talking to any bevere we can get our hands on. So thank you so much. Um, it's a real choice.
2: I love it. Well, this uh, is the really fun one.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. We love, we, we love your um, sons and daughters, too. And I say that that way intentionally. So there you go. Um, Hey, if you guys are listening right now and you want to connect directly with John, you can always do that at johnbevere.com. Also want to send you to messengerinternational.org. John, this is a project that really is a life message for you, grows out of your entire journey of faith. Talk with us about a healthy fear of God. I mean, we might like to call it awe because that doesn't sound quite as scary as fear, but really we're talking about a healthy fear of God.
2: You know, Carmen, uh, we've sought to eradicate all fear, when in essence, fear, there are healthy fears. The fact that a grizzly bear will destroy me will keep me from playing with her cubs. So that healthy fear will keep me from doing something stupid. It produces a wisdom. If you look at the fear of God, it is the fear that eradicates all unhealthy fears. The fear of God has absolutely nothing to do with being afraid of God. (laughs) It has everything to do with being terrified of being away from him. He is not only our father, but he is a glorious and magnificent God who, when Isaiah got a glimpse of him, fell on his face. When John the Apostle got a glimpse of Jesus, he fell on his face. And if we look at the fear of the Lord, the healthy fear of God as revealed in Scripture, it is called God's treasure, Isaiah 33, verse 6. It is called Jesus's delight in Isaiah eleven three. 3. And Paul the Apostle said, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So it's not with love and kindness that we work out our salvation. And Carmen, I have such a deep burden. Because we have seen over 23 million Americans walk away from the faith, go from practicing Christians to now professing agnostics, atheists, and spiritualists in the last 23 years. That is one out of every 14 Americans. Why has this happened? Because we have eliminated the healthy fear of God, it is what keeps us strong till the end. It is what gives us the ability to endure. And that has not been preached as it should be. I'm believing that there are going to be millions of young men and women, pastors, ministers, leaders that are going to begin to preach the healthy fear of God.
0: Um, John, I'm I'm betting that every single person has someone who whose name comes to mind who it literally comes to mind when you talk about that company that is the great falling away from Second Thessalonians chapter two. I mean, this, this great falling away that we've experienced here in the United States of America. I mean, names that come to mind immediately for me, Court, Jonathan, Priscilla, but my list is long. I bet your list is long as well. Talk with us about protecting ourselves from being counted among the great falling away um, because that is what cultivating a healthy fear of God actually was one of the things it accomplishes.
2: Well, you know, if you look at Moses, Moses uh, was raised in the most beautiful house on the planet. Israel is abused by Egypt. Moses comes out, never once says, I want to go back to Egypt, or Egypt is the type of the world. So he never once said, I want to go back to the world. Israel was constantly saying it was better for us back in the world. What was the difference? Moses feared God, Israel didn't. What created the fear of God? Coming into God's authentic presence, knowing that God has in store for us what is best for us and best for the overall kingdom that He is building. So when we get that firmly implanted into us, then when things don't quite go the way they we think they should go, we don't fall away. I was just speaking to our staff this morning in our prayer meeting. And I said, guys, look at look at Elijah. Elijah was a man who feared God. He prayed that it would rain. He sends his servant up the hill. Go check. The servant comes back and says, no, boss, nothing there. A lot of people would have said, "Okay, let's give up. But he sends him back a second time. No, boss, nothing's there. That's where most people would have packed up and went home. But he sends him seven times. Because he knows God is faithful to his word. If you look at Israel, when God, when Moses comes and presents the word of the Lord to Pharaoh, before he does it, he meets with the elders of Israel and they're worshiping God that he has come to rescue them. But then after Moses preaches the word of God, their hardship is increased. Now they are saying, may God judge between you and me how religious. They give up. And God lamented over these people. And in Deuteronomy 5, verse 30, he said, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would always obey all my commandments. So the fear of the Lord is what gives us that strength to obey, even when we don't see the promises manifesting the way we think they should in their time period. And I just look at Lucifer, he led worship right before the throne room, yet he didn't fear God, he didn't endure forever. A third of the angels saw the Lord's glory in the throne room, they didn't fear God, they didn't endure forever. Adam and Eve walked in the presence of his glory, they didn't fear God, they didn't endure forever. So the fear of the Lord is something that is taught and is something that is caught. Because if you look at Isaiah 11, it says the spirit of the holy fear of God would rest upon Jesus and he delighted in it.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: look at that holy fear and I have been in ministry now for four decades. This is my 40th year this year. I am more passionate about the fear of the Lord today than I will ever have been in my entire life before. I cried out just this morning that God would baptize me in a fresh baptism of the fear of the Lord. And I haven't done this just because I've written a new book. It is something I've cried out for 40 years. Yet we have four boys who love God passionately or serving him. We are seeing fruit of the holy fear of God. And I believe that when people grab a hold of the fear of the Lord and delight in it as Jesus did, it gives us that burning passion to love what he loves and to hate what he hates that gives us the ability to endure to the end.
0: We're going to continue our conversation with John Bevere. The book is The Awe of God, The Astounding Way, A Healthy Fear of God Transforms Your Life. And yes, we do have copies to give away today. You've been wondering, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation now with John Bevere. Today, he brings us a brand new book, The Awe of God, The Astounding Way A Healthy Fear of God Transforms Your Life. Text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies that we have to give away in studio today. John, one of the things that you said just before we went to break reminded me of uh, just how important humility is in this conversation. There is this relationship between fearing God, entering His presence, acknowledging I have access to the throne room through Jesus Christ, um, the the presence of the Holy Spirit, and and my humility. Can you kind of weave that together for us?
2: You know, you look at Proverbs 22, 4, and it says, through humility and the fear of the Lord, are riches, honor, and life. You know, the, this is the thing that I haven't yet mentioned to all of our dear, dear, precious listeners, is all the benefits of the holy fear of God. Well, there's riches, honor, and life. But do you notice how Scripture couples the fear of the Lord with humility? They are what I like to call the power twins of the Scripture. You will find them near each other or relating to each other all throughout Scripture. Somebody who is truly, truly humble is somebody who is completely and utterly dependent on God. That is the holy fear of God. The holy fear of God means that I don't want to be uh, as close to the line of the world and sin and not fall into it. The holy fear of God says, I want so close to God and so far away from that line of worldliness that I don't even see it because I deeply, deeply love God. I remember when one of the most famous evangelists in the world, I was meeting with him in the federal penitentiary. He was serving his five-year sentence. And he looked at me and he said, John, this prison wasn't God's judgment on my my life. It was his mercy. And he shared with me how in the first year in prison, God delivered him from all the evil that was in his life. And I remember asking him, at what point did you fall out of love with Jesus? You started the ministry so in love with Jesus. You preached with such passion, such conviction. And he said, John, I didn't. And I remember I got upset and I said, wait a minute, you committed adultery and I named the girl. Uh, seven years before you were arrested, you committed all this mail fraud. You yourself said all this evil was in you. You got delivered from what do you mean? You didn't, you, you, you loved Jesus all the way through it. And he said, John, I didn't fear God. And all of a sudden it hit me. The love of God keeps us from legalism. The love of God keeps us so intimate with him, but the fear of the Lord keeps us from lawlessness and the fear of the Lord opens up the door to that intimate relationship. And so, Carmen, the number one benefit of the holy fear of God is that scripture tells us that it is the starting place, the beginning of knowing God intimately. In fact, scripture says friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. With them, he shares his secrets. Every person that's listening to us wants a deeper walk with God. I want to challenge you the more you, the more you, have the holy fear of God, the deeper and more intimate you go with him, the more precious he becomes to you. It's almost counterintuitive. You think fear, intimacy, they don't go together. The holy fear of God and intimacy are synonymous. That's what brings us into an intimate relationship with God. So
0: one of the things that you get in the awe of God is this deep dive into these passages of Scripture that John is sharing, but he's sharing them as a part of the conversation that we're having, um, and they are knit into his heart and mind. And so I'll just remind everybody, um, maybe a couple of the references here, Proverbs nine ten, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then from Psalm 25, verses 12 to 15, this connection between um, the fear of the Lord and friendship with the Lord. Uh, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. Uh, so if you want to you want to explore what God says um, about those who fear Him and what a healthy fear of God looks like and how it can transform your life. The book is the awe of God. You can text the word book to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four to enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away today. Um, John, I'd love for you to talk about um, the generational effect of this. Like, does it matter generation to generation that we fear God?
2: Absolutely does. And that is one of the promises. We are promised that our descendants will be mighty on the earth. And we also are promised in Scripture that the fear of the Lord will go generation to generation to generation. If you look at... um, I think one of the most amazing studies is in 1860s, right in that time period, uh, a sociologist named Richard Dugdale went to 12 prisons in upper state New York and discovered seven men in those 12 prisons that were related to each other. He did a deep dive on their genealogy and traced it all back to a very corrupt and wicked man named Max Jukes. Now I gave Max a fictitious name. (laughs) And um, I'm looking at, at the results and i'm going to actually scroll down to see if i can find it quickly for us but he discovered uh 540 of max jukes descendants and he discovered that those 540 310 of them died as paupers 140 of them were convicted criminals including seven murders there were 18 brothel keepers i mean just stop and think about that There were 440 alcoholics and 128 prostitutes. Now, Max Jukes was born between 1720 and 1740. I can't remember the exact year. Jonathan Edwards was born around the same time. Mm. Jonathan married Sarah Pierport, and they had 11 children. They said every home is a church, and they taught their children the holy fear of God. And of his 1,394 descendants— There were 75 officers, 100 preachers, 60 authors of prominence. There were 13 presidents of universities, 65 professors, three United States senators, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, and I could go on and on. His descendants didn't cost the state one penny, whereas Max Jukes in today's value, his descendants cost the state millions of dollars in prison time and in welfare and aid. And I just believe that when we walk in that holy fear of God, scripture shows us beyond a shadow of a doubt, not only are we blessed, but our descendants and our descendants' descendants.
0: All right. That is a fascinating historical record that proves out what Scripture says. And I just love that. I mean, I I love it when we have a way to, like, point in real time to what happens when a person fears the Lord and what happens when they don't, and that it does have a generational influence and effect. One more question, John, um, before we let you go. Talk with us about Solomon and where he eventually arrives at the end of Ecclesiastes.
2: If you look at Solomon, he was raised in the holy fear of God. He was taught it. He was anointed to write on it by the creator. And yet he didn't treasure it. And if you look at what I said, the fear of the Lord should be our treasure because it's God's treasure. So he let it slip away and he ends up writing this book that ends up becoming a gift to all of us. And that book is called the Ecclesiastes. And a lot of us will avoid that book and the book of Job because they are both books that are inspired books, but they're written by two uninspired men. If you look at some of the statements written by Solomon, he said, everything is boring, utterly boring. No one can find any meaning in it. History merely repeats itself as there's nothing new under the sun. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. The day you die is better than the day you're born. Okay, who writes these words? A pessimistic (laughs) cynic, somebody who has a complete jaded outlook on life. This is what happens when we lose the fear of the Lord. Carmen, I have sat in green rooms with ministers. I have been with believers who have a very cynical attitude. What happened? Mm -hmm. They lost their holy fear of God. But the good news is Solomon at the very end of this book, this dismal book that he writes, that God allows to come into Scripture. And he said, hey, Remember your creator in one form or another seven times. And then he says, here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commandments for this is everyone's duty. And so when we treasure the holy fear of God, we won't end up becoming cynical and jaded like Solomon did.
0: All right. Um, you love his passion. So do I. The book is The Awe of God. If you visit johnbevere.com and you scroll down, there is a six-session video series um, that John offers on the book as well. If you want to enter the drawing for the copies of the book we have to give away today in studio, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. John, what a delight. Thank you so much.
2: And Carmen, can I mention also quickly, sure. I know a lot, of your, a lot of your listeners are Prime members. I don't want them to have to jump through all the hoops. If if you don't want to do that, just go to Amazon, hit one button, and the book right. is actually 35% off right now. So just get a hold of the message.
0: Amen. Amen. The book is The Awe of God. We all want greater intimacy with God. Um, John actually shows us how to, how to achieve that. Uh, John Bevere, thank you so much. Pleasure. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen Laberge. This is Faith Radio. So, as we're considering John's uh, John Bevere's invitation to have this, like healthy fear of God, uh, to draw unto God, that God would draw unto us. Like I've, James 4, 8 is just like pounding forward in my mind right now. And so let us draw near to God, relying on the promise that when we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. Like that's what James says, James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Do you want greater intimacy with God? Like right now, where you are, not only like physically, but where you are emotionally, spiritually, relationally, do you want greater intimacy with God? Does intimacy scare you? Are you a person who's walled yourself off from intimacy? Um, You and I were meant to walk with God, to talk with God, to be in this genuinely intimate relationship with God. Um, He he loves you more than you could even begin to imagine. But let's imagine for a moment. Let's imagine for a moment um, and let us draw near to him. And so you say, well, I don't even know how to do that. James um, 4.8 doesn't just say draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It also says, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, your hearts, you who are double-minded. James is absolutely uh, drawing together here, putting together here, acknowledging the important connectedness of um, our desire to be near to God and what is necessary in order for that to happen. You and I, in order to draw near to God, uh, must recognize not only who God is, that's that awe of God business, but also recognize who we are. And we're sinners. But thanks be to God, the way has been opened. The veil has been torn from top to bottom. A way has been made. And we are invited into the very intimate presence of God because of the act of Jesus Christ. And so, Are you relying on him? Have you washed your hands, as James says, um, in the cleansing, forgiving blood of Christ? Are you washed clean in baptism? Is your heart pure, not by your own act, but by the act of Christ? Are you living in the reality of God's grace? And are you, because don't be double-minded, right? You can't pursue both God and the world. Are you single-minded Are you cultivating the mind of Christ on the matters of the day? Are you setting your heart and your mind on things that are above? Like, let's draw near to God, but let's do so in the way that God has opened to us in obedience that transformation might come. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.